0: My guest today is Archana Deskis. Archie is the Global Chief Information Officer of Intel, one of the world's largest semiconductor manufacturers with revenues exceeding $71 billion annually. As the global CIO, Archie leads a team of over 5,000 IT professionals focused on protecting Intel's assets, driving competitive advantage, and providing IT solutions. Prior to Intel, she held CIO roles at HPE, Baker Hughes, Ingersoll Rand, Timex, and United Technologies. In this interview, we discuss Archie's purview as the global CIO of Intel and her experience coming up to speed in the role. We discuss the current pandemic, including Intel's response to it and how it will impact the long-term future of work, as well as how her team has been enabling the shift to remote work. Finally, Archie provides insights into the company's data-first mindset and their corporate data office, how the company is using artificial intelligence, how the CIO role has evolved over Archie's 17-plus years in the post, and a variety of other topics. Before we get to our interview, I wanted to introduce you to our sponsor, Zoho, and the company's president, Timothy Casby. Prior to taking on his current role, he was the chief information officer of a number of companies, including Reliance Industries, Sears, Intrexon, and the Warehouse Group. He's now at Zoho, a most unusual enterprise software company,
1: and wanted to share some perspectives from it. Timothy, take it away. Howard professor Dr. Zuboff says that Google and Facebook are not iterating new industrialization, but represent a new and problematic market form that trades in predicting and influencing human behavior. Surveillance capitalism, as she calls it, has taken human experience, specifically private human experience, and unilaterally claimed it as something to be bought and sold in the marketplace. A quick look at one of our big CRM competitors shows that they have 117 trackers on their site, trading their customers' activity and behaviors to the surveillance marketplace. Popular culture, fascinated with tech entrepreneur worship, has lost sight of the price they are paying by having their information in the human behavioral marketplace. But we, as CIOs, can't afford such worship. We have to protect our employees, customers' information. That is why Zoho has removed all surveillance and trackers from our sites, including Google Analytics. A bold move, you might say. But it shows the value we place on privacy of our customers. When you use Zoho, you know we are not reading your information, tracking your behavior, or have others do that, much less sell your information to the highest bidder. Our growth is a result of the brand promise we have given to our customers of honoring their privacy. Learn more on Zoho.com privacy. Thanks, Timothy. And now on to the interview.
0: Archie Deskis, welcome to Technovation. It's great to speak with you today.
2: Hi, Peter. It's great to be here with you.
0: Excellent. Well, Archie, uh, you were the Chief Information Officer at Intel, and I thought we would take a moment, if you don't mind, I'd ask you to take a moment, if you don't mind, to talk a bit about your purview in that role.
2: Great, Peter. So, look, I'm the uh, Global CIO for Intel, and so with that, I have the traditional responsibility that you would um, expect in terms of leading a large organization to manage all of our footprint globally, both from infrastructure, applications, uh, data, um, AI, and really um, all of the the integration with our business units and our functions, and very focused on not just the the traditional services and and keeping Intel and all of our extended uh, partners safe. But obviously, a lot of focus on innovation and how can we drive greater value, you know, for our business.
0: Excellent. And uh, you you joined the organization uh, in January of this year. What an eventful time to do so! You had uh, just a couple of months, probably, to visit with your your new colleagues, to visit various operations um, around the world, perhaps, uh, until uh, the point at which now you have. No ability to do so, at least in person. Talk a bit about, if you don't mind, the those early days, your first now several months enroll as CIO.
2: Yeah, you know it's definitely been an interesting onboarding experience. Um, I'm fortunate in that uh, I started at the end of January and I had the opportunity to visit, uh, you know, many of our uh, domestic sites and also a couple of our international sites. You know, prior to the start of you know the pandemic and you know the stay orders coming down. So that gave me an opportunity to really start building uh, relationships with all of the local teams, um, you know, the key uh, business partners and stakeholders. And a lot of it was really just to learn and understand, you know, what uh, was going on within the business, uh, what, you know, we uh, had in flight in terms of uh, transformation efforts, and really just get a, getting a sense of where do we need to accelerate and where do we need to do better. And so, you know, after about four or five weeks, um, really just of being on the road, um, yeah, the good thing that happened next was it really gave me a chance to align you know within our IT teams and also with our key stakeholders and and define what are what are the top focus areas, right for enabling our businesses, uh, our business to deliver Intel products and solutions to the market faster and uh, also more predictably, you know, and at the highest quality. And so you know we defined our pathways to achieving this. you know again, obviously, uh, you know, keep Intel you know secure and protect our brand and assets. Uh, provide you know world class you know foundational services, and this is all about the user experience, whether it's you know for our employee base, whether it's for our customers or our partners, you know that we do business with. Um, you know, the next pillar was really about driving business growth and productivity, and you know we already had a number of initiatives right that have been running uh, with a transformation program that's been in flight for about eighteen months. And that's all about you know, how can we accelerate and create that um, you know value at a much faster pace than 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 we have been, and you know at the top of the pillar is really about the innovation, right? So how do we um, drive you know innovation again at a, at a at a much you know faster pace and deliver um, you know breakthrough products and solutions for our customers. So that, you know, it really kind of helped, you know, I think with, uh, you know, getting out to meet a lot of folks and to, you know, agree that, you know, these are the areas that we really want to focus on. And, uh, you know, while it was challenging, I think in some ways, you know, it accelerated, I think, my learning and, uh, you know, the connection points, I think, with a lot of key uh, folks in the organization and giving some clarity, you know, in terms of what are we going to go focus on.
0: And, you know, so just a little more than a month after you came in, you had to uh, transition and enable 100,000 remote workers and make sure that that was as seamless as possible while taking into consideration the variety of complexities associated with that. Can you talk a bit about that, that process and how you manage it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we um, our leadership, you know, team was very focused on two priorities, right? One, and, and first and foremost, is the health and safety of our employees, and then second, uh, you know, but very close second, was really supporting our customers by keeping our business operations, you know, as normal as we possibly can, you know, under the circumstances, and uh, you know, with as minimal disruption, you know, as we as we possibly uh, you know can. And so, you know, I think the good news was we had a pretty solid foundation, right, in terms of, you know, a really robust business continuity plan, you know, that was in place and, you know, not just a paper plan, right? I mean, this is a plan, you know, I think that, you know, robust, you know, had been, you know, tested, retested. And so, you know, again, walking in, I felt really good about the quality of what we started with and it became, and Intel also, you know, has had remote work capabilities in place for many years. And so when we started, you know, know, down this journey, you know, I think the sense was, okay, you know, maybe we'll see things in phases, right? I think we didn't expect that it would almost happen overnight. And so we were prepared, you know, to support about half of our workforce um, in a remote, you know, uh, environment at any point in time. Um, And then, you know, obviously what happened, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, it, it basically propelled us overnight. You know, into a scenario where we had more than 100,000 employees working remotely, you know, along with contingent workers and ecosystem partners, and uh, you know, in, when when I say 100,000, at times it's concurrent, right? It's not. Uh, if I look at the whole population, it's probably closer to almost 140, 50,000. So our traditional approach would have been, you know, to just expand, you know, on prem capability. You know, it's very cost effective and you know, you know, we're good at it. And that's the way, you know, I think we traditionally tend to think. And so, you know, as the first, as the early days started with this, you know, that would have taken us, you know, two weeks to three months, depending on, you know, where in the world, you know, we were looking to expand those capabilities. And so, we knew that that wasn't going to work. So, you know, instead, we have, you know, we already had a hybrid strategy in place with, you know, lots of on-prem capabilities, but also, you know, leveraging the cloud. And so, the, you know, uh, what we decided, um, you know, with that was we needed to move most, you know, most of the uh, bandwidth-intensive workloads, you know, such as the audio-video conferencing to the cloud and that, you know, using that multi-cloud strategy, right, really allowed us to quickly ramp up and scale, um, you know, a lot of our as-a-service offerings, you know, so that employees could easily access the tools and the capabilities and also you know while we wanted most of uh, our employees to come in you know through VPN you know there are tools that we were able to enable that they didn't need to you know come in with with VPN and so all of this obviously took uh, you know uh, you know took a different mindset in terms of speed you know we we literally did this uh, you know almost over a weekend i would say uh, we took advantage of our a lot of our existing cloud service uh, provider relationships that we had, uh, collaborating right to prioritize. You know, what we needed to. You know what we needed to do to accommodate. You know accommodate which workloads. You know we would transition to the cloud as expeditiously as we could, and then it, you know became about um, you know performance tuning, right? Making sure that again the experience, right, uh, things weren't slow you know, they were uh, working at, you know, an expected rate that people can be productive. And, you know, obviously, at this point, we're operating in a business continuity mode. And so then you start to think about, okay, what if there's another failure on top of this, right, or another crisis on top of this. And so you start building out, you know, parallel, you know, capabilities and infrastructure to make sure that if there's another event, you know, that you're able to continue to keep the business running.
0: That's a great overview. I appreciate that. Um, I, I I would Be interested, Archie, uh, if you have any reflections, we're still relatively early in the grand scheme of things. Um, do you have a sense for what changes that have been made are likely to be longer lasting even after uh, we achieve some sort of new normal uh, versus those where there, things will sort of come back? Have you, have you drawn any conclusions based upon what you're seeing as the weighing the, the pot and some of the perhaps silver linings or positive attributes of, of uh, virtual work versus um, you know the traditional means of doing work in in office spaces
2: yeah, you know it's and it's a great question um look I think it's it's a little early and probably still hard to define you know what the ultimate new normal is going to look like, but i do you know i I do expect that I think with the pandemic we're going to see a tipping point here. Uh, where, you know, we're able to demonstrate, you know, the success and benefits of remote work at scale. You know, it's a topic that's been up for debate and different models have been tried, right, by uh, different companies uh, over the last probably couple of, you know, at least past decade or so. Um, but I, I do think that the pandemic proved, right, that we, we can be operational in a remote capacity um, and, and keep our, you know, organizations not only operating, you know, but at a fairly good, uh, you know, pace. Um, I think we will see new, you know, disruptive business models emerging from this and technologies, I think, that will reinvent the way that we work. You know, for um, I think for a lot of us, you know, I think we're just starting to really see, you know, some of the benefits and also some of the challenges, right, that has come uh, with the remote work. And I think companies, you know, are, are looking at different ways, but I still think it's going to take, you know, probably a little bit more thinking because it's not just about enabling, you know, um, uh, the technologies or giving permission to, you know, uh, your workforce to be able to work from home. You know, there's lots of things that need to be considered in terms of, you know, we've done this under a crisis mode. What does it look like in terms of, you know, a lot of our, um, human resource policies, uh, the technology itself, right. Um, you know, as great as it has been, you know, I would say that we're still probably not at a, at a point where we could say you know 100 percent you know or 99.99 you know percent availability on things like collaboration uh, tools, etc. We don't control you know the connectivity of the employee at home, that last mile, right? So that poses challenges at times in terms of their in terms of their uh, ability to be be productive. And then you know, how do you measure, right? How do you measure um, you know are you as productive? You know, are you, uh, you know, getting, you know, the same level of productivity that you would in an office environment, uh, or what are the, you know, the downsides of not being, you know, face to face, you know, so I I think all of this is going to pan out. And, you know, I think I would just share, as I talk to my peers, you know, I think a lot of companies are, are thinking about a hybrid model, right. Where you're, um. It's both. It's not just you know I'm working from home 100 percent or I'm in the office you know the majority of the times. But I think it's I think it's going to take a little bit of time to flush out what that you know new normal is going to look like. I think for most most companies, um, I do think um, you know one great thing you know as you think about this uh, remote work and um, not just Intel, but I think other companies have been able to pivot faster. You know I think on the um, I think on the IT side and for CIOs. I think those that had started the journey to cloud you know um, in, a, in a you know at scale in, in a big way you know I think we're able to scale up and um, you know come out of this I think much stronger um, than those that didn't and I think as we come out of this it will be a reflection point right uh, for most companies in terms of you know the impetus on accelerating some of that digital transformation you know we, we've again I think each of us has have been at a different pace on that journey. But I think coming out of this, you know, we're seeing the value and, um, you know, I think uh, it'll be a a good, you know, pivot point and a discussion point after this uh, to accelerate here.
0: I wanted to turn to Intel's corporate data office, uh, which, as I understand it, is cultivating a data first mindset for Intel's businesses. Uh, Can you talk a bit about your your approach to data strategy and how it's uh, being brought to life through the corporate data office?
2: Uh, Absolutely. So, you know, for us, if you look at uh, today, um, Intel's data assets are about um, 315 petabytes, but that's at this point in time, right? Every day that data continues to grow. And so, you know, we're constantly, you know, looking at that, um, you know, that growth. So a few years ago, you know, we launched the Intel corporate data office and the intention with it was for it to be a one-stop data shop. Uh, to, and to cultivate a data-first mindset, right, for each of Intel's businesses. And so the, the CDO uh, really collaborates across the company, right, with all the business units, the functions, um, even, you know, external uh, data, right, that we get through a variety of sources. And, um, you know, it, the intention there is to provide policies, procedures, and standards um, for regulatory compliance uh, for, you know, a view of, of true enterprise data management, Um, We look at data set acquisition, and then, you know, also, you know, obviously, what does that big data infrastructure, you know, need to look like uh, today, and and as we move forward in time, you know, how does that change? And so, so far, you know, I'm happy to say that, um, you know, with that, uh, you know, with instituting that corporate data office, um, you know, we've implemented and, um, you know, are managing a state-of-the-art data and analytics platform across Intel. You know, for data science, uh, for computing, you know, for that whole connected data, right, and, um, and storage, uh, we're creating, um, you know, I'd say, you know, new and patentable algorithms uh, to reduce time uh, to market in our pre-silicon validation. We're improving the performance of uh, our products, and also uh, we're making our sales and marketing channels more effective. And then, you know, the other area, you know, I think that comes to mind is, you know, we are developing ways of generating, um, incremental business value, um, and, and delivering insights to the decision makers in the company.
0: Very interesting. And, and can you talk a bit about the, uh, the role that AI is playing in this? I understand you the organization's making a number of larger bets in artificial intelligence. Talk a bit about that if you would.
2: Yeah, I think it for, you know, for, uh, Intel, you know, as we think about AI and the transformation, you know, in our uh, in, in the things that we're doing here, you know, we're really focused on expanding our partnerships, you know, with uh, with Intel's business units, you know, to develop innovative AI uh, use cases. And I'd say, you know, they've been primarily focused around, you know, three big objectives. Right. The first is really um, improving and having more predictability uh, in our business outcomes. Right. So we use AI to analyze, um, you know, and validate vast, vast amounts of, of data and data sets that we have. Um, and we have insights, right, that then aid human judgment, you know, to help identify, you know, opportunities like, um, you know, going into new markets uh, products, uh, new product set features, and it also enables us to, you know, do things like optimize pricing, um, you know, balance our demand and supply, um, increase, you know, our forecast accuracy. And, and all of this really, right, is focused on, you know, growing our, our, our business in a healthy way. The, the second area has been around uh, designing better products and services. And so, AI has helped us to deliver uh, better power uh, uh, performance, design efficiency, and overall quality. And so we can leverage it to improve, you know, the hardware implementation of, of Intel's products. Um, the third area uh, has been really around optimizing our product build and manufacturing. So using AI insights, right, we've been able to uh, reduce product cost, um, time to market, and uh, make product milestones more predictable, Uh, We're collaborating to prove uh, concepts uh, with clear, you know, validated business value, you know, that has then led to scaling out our current solutions. And as a result of, you know, of all of this, we're really rapidly expanding our AI efforts. Um, We're getting a lot of, uh, you know, visibility, sponsorship, and I'd say pull. You know, I think one of the benefits that we're seeing from a lot of these uh, AI implementations is that they've gone relatively fast, right, uh, compared to a lot of traditional, you know, uh, large-scale investments that take a long time to deliver on the value, and so the, the pull from the business has, has really just been, um, you know, fantastic.
0: I wanted to also ask you, uh, Archie, you um, actually, this month, if I've got my dates correct, is marks your 17th anniversary of becoming a CIO for the first time, uh, initially as a divisional CIO carrier. You have since uh, been a CIO at Timex, at Ingersoll Rand, at uh, Baker Hughes, HPE, prior to taking the post, as you noted earlier, uh, in January in, uh, at Intel. I'm wondering if you could take a moment and reflect upon the, the role and how it's evolved from your standpoint across 17 years of, of having the title um, and sort of the, the, the role it plays within the corporate structure.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, the, the, look, the role has uh, evolved and continues to evolve, right? If I think about, uh, you know, some of my earlier uh, CIO experiences, right? A, a lot of it, um, I you know, IT's always been, um, you know, at the heart of or at the core of an organization, you know. But I think if I think back, you know, seventeen, you know, twenty years, you know, ago, uh, kind of time frame, a lot of it was focused, um, you know, I'd say more inward in terms of you know, how do you make an organization more productive, right? We were looking at, you know, transforming through ERP implementations, data warehouses, right? And a lot of it was, you know, about process and, and, and productivity. You know, then if, if you go forward in time, you know, it became more about, you know, um, the experience and how do you expand, right? How do you use IT to really, you know, expand your business and business models, right? So, you know, the, you know, uh, the days of, you know, the internet, I'll say, right, and opening up, you know, all of the different sales channel, you know, how can you do that, you know, in a different, different, you know, with a different way, right? Do you, you know, moving to online sales, you know, do you, how do you think about brick and mortar versus, you know, digital, right? And so, you know, we, we kind of went through, you know, that era, and we're still continuing in there. But I think, you know, it just continues to evolve. And so, you know, then we, you know, if we kind of take the next challenge, And I think about, you know, as I moved around, um, you know, in in the CIO role, um, you know, a lot of the productivity plays, et cetera, was, I would say, my UTC experience. You know, Timex, you know, was really that brick and mortar, you know, versus digital, right? How much do we continue to do, you know, um, in physical infrastructure um, and and the way we go to market, right, versus, you know, thinking in in a more digital way and and even the products that we develop, right? Um, You know, nobody's interested in, in wearing a watch for time, right? So you know, um, product expectations around digital, right? Uh, it's got to be more than, you know, uh, telling you time. Uh, and then, you know, if I think about the industrials, right, it's about products are becoming commoditized. And so, you know, how, how do you create the stickiness factor, you know, with the higher value proposition, you know, for customers? And so, for me, um, in roles like that, it's been about, you know, things like, um, you know, uh, home automation, right? So, you know, uh, connected home with, you know, being able to control you know your temperature, your swimming pools, your alarm systems, you know your refrigerators, all that kind of stuff. You know, to uh, building um, automation, right? Where you've got security video, you know, all of that. And so, for you know, for the CIO, you, you kind of stepped out of you know really thinking about IT and the services you provide in an organization. To you know, how do you um, you know have a seat at the table in terms of how do you go to market? Um, you know, with new uh, revenue streams, new business models, um, how do you expand? You know, margins, right? So, you know, all of that continued, and now, you know, um, you know, I'd say the, you know, if I think about, um, you know, HPE and and Intel, right? Um, you know, now a lot of it is about, you know, how do you take this latest wave, right, with IoT, with the amount of data that's getting generated, right? And the world is data centric, so how do you build? you know, um, you know, models, right, business models that really, uh, you know, leverage all that data and, and give a different kind of value to customers, right? And so, I think for CIOs, it's been, you know, just constant evolution of the role. And I think for, you know, those that are really on the forefront, you know, what you're seeing is not, hey, talk to me about an IT strategy. It's more about, you know, being part of the core business strategy and for CIOs, you know, I think they're, um, again, you know, have a deeper understanding of the technology that's needed to really drive that type of transformation. And so, I think it's it's been, I mean, for me, it's been a fantastic journey. You know, I've never, I've never been bored, right? Um, I think we have to challenge, you know, our thinking and ourselves in terms of, you know, the value creation, I think, how we thought about it before versus how we think about
0: it today. That's excellent. I also wanted to just uh, briefly ask you about uh, trends that excite you. We've talked about a number of rising trends from data analytics and data strategy to artificial intelligence, among others. Are there others that that are making their way onto your roadmap as you look to the future?
2: You know, I think that if I had to pick one, you know, right now, it is for me. I think it's around data and AI. And, and what I'm you know most excited about, Peter is I think in my entire career, when I think about you know all the transformation work uh, you know that uh, you know I've seen in these different industries and uh, you know have' been uh, driving myself you know as a leader, what I'm seeing here is just our ability you know to deliver so quickly on the value. I think that's you know, if I think about a trend that' that's really, really got me excited, I think this is the one. Um, you know, obviously, like, there, there's a lot on the horizon, and you know, we're constantly you know, looking at new trends that are evolving and you know, how they'll shape you know, where the future goes. But right now, I'm super excited about the work that we're doing you know, with data and AI.
0: Well, Archie Deskis, thank you so much for joining me today on Technovation. It's been great uh, hearing about your experiences uh, recently with Intel and across your, your vast uh, uh, career as a CIO. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much, Peter. I really uh, appreciate the time this afternoon and uh, really uh, had, had a great time talking with you.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Please join me on Thursday when my guest will be Tim Campos, the former chief information officer of Facebook, who is now the founder and CEO of Woven.